Thursday, the 16th of November. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, make us know your ways. For those who have been disappointed by their loved ones, fill them with hope in you. For those who seek the truth, guide them to the fullness of faith in you. For the aging, keep them always in your love. O God, our Father, you sent your only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be our way, our truth, and our life. At this morning hour, we lift our hearts to you in prayer and ask that you guide us through this day according to your will, through the same Christ our Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Thursday morning. We are one week out from Thanksgiving, so hope you got... Hope you got your plans figured out. If you don't, we've got some cool things coming up next hour from Rita Heikenfeld for Make Ahead Recipes. We've got all kinds of stuff to discuss here this morning. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has got the video up and running. We'll also talk to Father Philip Michael Tangora. Uh, Brennan Hodge is going to have more thoughts regarding the Synod and South America. Joseph Pierce will discuss the Catholic Restoration under Mary Tudor in England after the split that occurred under Henry VIII. And then Pastoral Counselor Kevin Prendergast will talk more. Uh, He's been doing actually a great series with us this month uh, since November is dedicated to the Holy Souls uh, and grief tends to kind of flare up as we approach the holidays. He's going to talk about uh, how to live in a world where that person that you loved and relied upon isn't around the way they used to be. Uh, And so he's got some thoughts about that. Right now it's two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The head of the FBI says the threat of a terror attack against Americans has increased to a quote whole other level due to the Israel Hamas war. FBI Director Christopher Wray told a House subcommittee yesterday that terrorist organizations including Al-Qaeda and ISIS have called for attacks on the U.S. and its allies. Ray said the agency is most concerned about domestic extremists. He added, however, that now is not the time to panic and advised Americans just to stay alert. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis asked the faithful to pray daily for peace. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. At the conclusion of his Wednesday general audience, Pope Francis turned his thoughts to the many nations suffering the horrors of war, and he asked for prayers for peace every day, wherever there is war. In particular, on Wednesday, the Pope asked for prayers for tormented Ukraine, which is suffering so much. Since the invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, over 9,600 civilians have been killed and over 17,500 injured. In Terra Santa, Palestina, Israel. Pope Francis also asked for prayers for the Holy Land in Palestine and Israel. On the 7th of October, over 1,400 Israelis were killed in attacks perpetrated by Hamas. And since then, Israeli airstrikes in retaliation on the Gaza Strip have killed over 11,000 people 
and some 2,500 are missing under the rubble, according to the local health ministry in Gaza. Finally, the Pope turned his thoughts to Sudan, where an estimated 9,000 people have been killed and another 5.6 million forced to flee their homes due to a devastating war between two rival military factions that erupted back in April. That civil war has been described as a humanitarian catastrophe with visible signs of ethnic cleansing, according to the UK's Minister for Africa. The Pope said, let us remember wherever there is war, and there are so many in the world. He said, let us pray for peace every day. Take some time to pray for peace in our world as we desire peace. Pope Francis is beginning to wrap up his catechesis series on apostolic zeal, summarizing it through the lens of his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, or the joy of the gospel. The Holy Father said yesterday, quote, Jesus is our joy. He said, each of us today, take a little time and think, Jesus, you are within me. I want to meet you every day. You are a person, not an idea. You are a companion, not a program. You are love that solves so many problems. You are the beginning of evangelization. You, Jesus, are the source of joy. Abortion will continue to be upheld as the preeminent priority when it comes to what Catholics should be thinking about in the voting booth. The Catholic News Agency reports the U.S. bishops yesterday debated and then voted on a revised introduction to the document Forming Consciences for faithful citizenship during their fall General Assembly in Baltimore. The vote to approve it, with the language of abortion being preeminent, was 225 to 11 with seven abstentions. It states, quote, The threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks our most vulnerable and voiceless brothers and sisters and destroys more than a million lives per year in our country alone, end quote. In Washington, the Senate has now passed a stopgap bill to fund the government and avoid a shutdown. Mark Mayfield reports. The vote was 87 to 11 with just 60 votes needed to pass. It now heads to the desk of President Biden to be signed. Both Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell say they support the bill that extends government funding through early next year. House Speaker Mike Johnson passed the measure with mostly Democratic votes after dozens of Republicans opposed the plan due to a lack of spending cuts. I'm Mark Mayfield. Today is Thursday, November the 16th. It is the Feast of St. Gertrude the Great. Pray for us. Coming up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, Father Philip Michael Tangora joins us. It's 7 past. Support is for MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. 
Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Philip Michael Tangora. He's a pastor, canon lawyer, and author of Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life. Good morning, Father. Good morning, everybody. It's good to have you back. And the U.S. bishops have been meeting in Baltimore this week at their General Assembly. And these kind of gatherings always open with, among other things, an address from the president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. And currently, the U.S. bishops are led by Archbishop Timothy Broglio, who is the Archbishop of the Military Services of the USA, which I think gives him a rather unique perspective on the church and the world. So with that in mind, Father, what stood out in his address to you? Well, he addressed the unique role that U.S. bishops are going to need to play in using their prophetic voice to call for peace. As we all know, in the world right now, the United States is pretty much fighting two proxy wars, one against Russia Just two. via the Ukraine. Well, two that are, uh, that are uh, military conflicts, others that are cyber uh, mm. conflicts and economic warfare and things of that sort. Uh, so we have the, the one in, in the Ukraine slash Russia, and then we have now the one in the Holy Land, so Israel, and uh, Hamas slash Palestine slash Iran slash the Middle East. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in each and every single one of these uh, conflicts, the United States is, in essence, fighting this pr- as a proxy mm-hmm. uh, using Israel or using the Ukraine to engage in a military conflict that uh, they wouldn't, they're not directly involved in. Yet we need to be a voice for peace. And, and this is what Archbishop Broglio, uh, and this is what uh, the whole world is really calling for, uh, especially the United States to be in this moment, is a, a voice for peace. And as we're coming into the Advent season in way too short of a time, it seems. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, uh, and that is a season of peace. That is a season where we are called to come upon the Prince of Peace and to recognize uh, his mother as the Queen of Peace and seek seek that message of peace. And I I really feel that Archbishop Broglio is very right that, you know, our, our military has been engaged in conflict for many years now. And, and and really what the world needs is peace and not uh, the beginnings of, of a third world war, which seemingly looks like it is on the verge of. I mean, Pope Francis himself has said that we are already in the midst of a world war in his perspective, that mm-hmm. this is, I mean, there are things happening all over the world and your head kind of spins, doesn't it, Father, when you think about I mean, you mentioned the two big ones that make the headlines, but they're all kinds of Yeah, but then you have the South China. You've got the South China Sea and Taiwan and China. Myanmar. um, That that has gone out of the headlines. You've got things in in sub-Saharan Africa like Nigeria. Nigeria, yeah. Stuff going on in Syria. There's Yemen. I mean, to – 
we 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 get we get fixated on on the big ones of course and and you know i was thinking about the the hamas israel war because of course that's the one that's on everybody's mind there are marches going on sure. all over the united states um on mm-hmm. either side of of this conflict right now and 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 i was thinking about it all kinds of people outraged um about about what israel is doing you know they're bombarding um hamas around around these hospitals but then the u.s Mm -hmm. just confirming that even though people innocent people are dying through no fault of their own it turns out the u.s is confirming hamas is stockpiling weapons underneath these hospitals hospitals and and holding hospital holding hostages I mean, it's just unreal. So some people might wonder, how do you become a prophetic voice for peace in such a complicated world? Well, this is what this is why we really do need to be uh, a little bit more sophisticated. And we can't just allow for uh, simple answers, yet we cannot lose sight of the simple goal. Mm. The simple goal is truly peace, for uh, fraternity through unity, peace through unity. And that, because peace is the product of unity. It flows from unity. So if we can unite people, then we can bring about peace, all right? So what we need to do is strengthen and get people together in order to, uh, provide for greater unity. And if that unity is affected, and that's that's where it gets very complicated, obviously, because when one side wants all of these people dead and the other side wants all these people dead, mm-hmm. that's kind of hard to reconcile. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why there has to be uh, a witness to peace, prayers for peace, uh, uh, the dialogue, you know, people will talk a lot about the First Amendment and how uh, the answer is not censorship, but more speech. Well, we have to provide a louder voice for peace, for unity, that it starts to resonate in the hearts and the minds of people. And that's why I began this by saying it's the usage of one's prophetic voice through teaching through speech, more speech that is engendering unity instead of hatred and uh, instead of uh, fueling debate because no heart was ever converted through debate. We need to really just get that language of unity and peace out there more and more. And that is how you turn the tide, through witness and through using that prophetic voice to proclaim peace, to proclaim unity, that will ultimately uh, resonate deeper within the hearts and the minds of humanity, of our brothers and sisters in this one human family. Well, thank you so much, Father Philip Michael Tangori. You can find his book, Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Back with headlines after this. It's 15 past Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. 
Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Support is from Affirm Films comes Journey to Bethlehem, a Christmas musical film for the whole family. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. You are in danger, Mary. This child, what is his name? Jesus. Journey to Bethlehem, starring Fiona Palomo, Milo Mannheim, Lecrae, Joel Smallbone, and Antonio Banderas. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere now. Soundtrack also available. More information is at journeytobethlehem.com. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. One of the reasons we should go to Mass is because it is the food of the saints that we receive. And for the saints, they understood rightly that the time after Holy Communion, that those moments are the most precious moments of our lives. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, live from the EWTN Chapel, every morning, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. 17 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Abortion will continue to be the preeminent priority when it comes to what Catholics should be thinking about in the voting booth. That language confirmed by the U.S. bishops yesterday at their fall general assembly. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis asked the faithful to pray for peace in the Holy Land, in Sudan, and in Ukraine. And in his catechesis, started a new little mini-series to summarize apostolic zeal using his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium. News coming up again in its fullest form in about 12 minutes. Anna Mitchell, as you were talking with Father Phil and uh, reflecting back on what the U.S. bishops are talking about with faithful Mm -hmm. citizenship and abortion and how debate works and doesn't work and how frustrated and toxic things get, uh, I'm just recalling... um, conversation I had with a person who was on the journey home fairly recently, Dr. John Burchowski, and oh, yeah. he had uh, he was an OBGYN and he had performed abortions. Still is and, an OBGYN. Uh, well, at the time, he was one who did not care for all of his patients, the, if you know what I mean. full range of reproductive right. health care, as they say. Yeah. So before he had his pro-life conversion, as it were, um, you know, we sort of asked him, like, what, what, what arguments would not have worked on you? And uh, in his mind at the time, he said that the faith argument wouldn't have worked on him because he could just be like, that's your faith. That's not my faith. Right. Right. So the faith appealing to faith would not have worked. And interestingly enough, um, the appeal to science wouldn't have worked on him either because science tells you when conception begins. But it's actually like philosophy and theology that tells you, (laughs) you know, when you're about a person, person. about personhood. Right. Uh, So. He would have just kind of like done the mental gymnastics to get around whatever you showed him in the science. What did change for him was a witness, mm-hmm. uh, a person in his world who witnessed to the truth and beauty and goodness of their faith. 
and it was compelling to him. And mm-hmm. so uh, I just would encourage anybody based on, you know, what Father Tangora was saying and some of the things that are coming out. And, you know, you just wonder, like, what's the argument that's going to really stop somebody in their tracks? I, I would just encourage people to think, who's the person in my world that I can witness to today? Not debate with, not, you know, argue with, not put in their place, but who's the person who will who God will put in my world today that I can be a witness to, well, even if is, I don't say anything argumentative. This is the hearts and minds game, absolutely, because it can be so tempting. I think it's a temptation to pride, and and I fall into this all the time, to you want, want to, be able to, to say answer you it. Yeah, you, you want to really good at arguing. I had the best argument, and, and we might think that we're arguing on behalf in this instance you know god has a check and balance built in on this you know what it is it's that when you get into one of those you don't think of the thing that you should have said until you're driving home yeah it's the check on your pride oh man 21 past starting to think outside the box to find new customers you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear. These are Biblical Impressions. We all have a list of our favorite books. The Church had its library of favorite books, too. The oldest substantial books of the New Testament come to us from the third century of our era. They show that the early Church did not possess the New Testament as a single volume, as we have it today, but as a collection of books. Two fascinating examples from the Church's early library of books are more than 200 pages long. One, that we now call Papyrus 46, contains the letters of Paul, including Hebrews, listed after Romans. Papyrus 45 contains all four Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles. The oldest book that is almost entirely intact is a book from about the year 300 containing 72 pages that includes, in its cover, First and Second Peter and the Letter of Jude. So when we think of our libraries at home, we might take another look at the Bible and appreciate the fact that that's a library too with a very important message for all of us. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Brendan Hodge. He's Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog. He's author of If You Can Get It, a novel from Ignatius Press and a contributing editor to The Pillar. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. It's great to be on with you. It is great to have you back. And you've got a piece coming out for The Pillar looking into uh, some comments that Cardinal Christophe Pierre, the Apostolic Nuncio to the United States, uh, made in a recent interview with America Magazine. Can you, first of all, uh, just let us know what he had to say that got you uh, thinking about what we're going to be talking about today? 
Yes, Cardinal Pierre was giving an interview where a lot of what he was talking about was the recently concluded first session of the Synod on Synodality. And he said that one of the things that had surprised him becoming nuncio to the United States was that he felt that uh, many of the bishops, whether they were seen as liberal or conservative, did not realize that synodality was a South American process and that it, it had been working strongly in the South American Church since 2007. Um, and he said that he felt that the thing that the U.S. bishops struggled with was that there were a lot of Catholic institutions in the U.S., beautiful churches, hospitals, etc., but that no one came to church anymore, and that uh, he and Pope Francis were encouraging the U.S. bishops to go out of the churches in order to meet the people, just as the bishops had done in South America, in order to evangelize, because he said the main purpose of um, synodality is evangelization. So I got curious uh, if this is a big push for evangelization in South and Central America, um, what sort of effects are we seeing? Because there was a big meeting of the Central American Bishops Association in 2007, which was when um, Bishop Pierre, uh, Cardinal Pierre, became a uh, nuncio to Mexico before he was a nuncio to the U.S., and that's kind of where he described there being this kickoff of synodality. So I was curious, were there effects that we could actually see in the South and Central American church? Yeah, interesting. So, of course, uh, with the caveat that numbers and data don't necessarily tell the whole story, it can still be a, a pretty good indicator, or at least something that we should be keeping in mind. So tell us about the numbers that you looked at. So the numbers that I looked at are uh, the Vatican puts out a uh, fact book each year with statistics about the Church around the world, um, and that includes uh, the numbers of Catholics in each country uh, and the total population. So you can look at the percent of the population who are Catholic, and it also shows the numbers of marriages and baptisms. Uh, of course, the Church recognizes that if someone is baptized into the Church, they remain Catholic throughout their lives, even if they, say, start attending a Protestant Church or stop attending at all. So, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, the percent Catholic for these countries was moderately stable. Uh, the biggest change was in Brazil. Uh, so Brazil, back in 1980, uh, 90% of the Brazilian population was uh, Catholic. Uh, in 2019, that was down to 84%, so it had dropped 6%. Uh, but for uh, Mexico, it had gone from 93 to 91, for Argentina, from 93 to 92, and for all of Central and South America, it had dropped from 89% to 86% Catholic. So moderately stable, a bit of a decline, and for comparison, the U.S. had been at 22 to 23% Catholic in that same statistics book the entire time. Okay. Um, well, why don't you tell us about baptisms? Yeah, so I thought... If we want to get a sense for whether people are really continuing to practice their faith, one really good thing to look at is baptisms, because even people who are not very actively practicing Catholics, if they're still Catholic at all, they tend to bring their children to be baptized in the Church. So I took a look at the number of baptisms there were for each thousand Catholics in um, Central and South America. And for the area as a whole, um, from 1980 to 2007, the number declined by 44%. So it went from 26 baptisms per thousand Catholics to 15. And then from that 2007 point, uh, which Cardinal Pierre described as kind of the start of synodality in South and Central America, uh, baptisms per thousand Catholics dropped another 33%. So from 44.8 to 9.9%, uh, 9.9 uh, baptisms per thousand Catholics. 
uh, which is actually very similar to the U.S. The U.S. had been at 20 back in uh, 1980. It dropped to 15%, same as South America in 2007, and then it dropped to nine baptisms per thousand Catholics in 2019. So we're seeing with baptisms a pretty significant decline, and it's, it's even more stark possibly with marriages. Uh, for the U.S., there were seven marriages per thousand Catholics, in the church back in 1980, that dropped to 2.8 in 2007 yeah. and to 1.8 in 2019. Wow. For South America, it was five per thousand Catholics, so actually less than the U.S. in, in 1980, dropped to 2.1 in 2007 and uh, two, uh, uh, 2.1 in uh, 2019. So there are actually significantly fewer Catholics getting married in the church in South and Central America than there are in the U.S. Wow. Um, none of this really gives me, gives me much joy, Brendan. Um, we're running out of time here, so maybe we'll, um, maybe we'll revisit this the next time we get together. But just overall, what do you think these data points kind of indicate? Well, overall, it, it looks like actually practice of the church in um, South and Central America has been dropping quite a bit. Uh, and what we see actually is that Protestants in those countries go to church a lot more than Catholics do, and that a lot of Catholics have been becoming Protestants. Well, that tells you something about, well, I mean, maybe synodality doesn't matter. <laughs> Whether you're doing synodality or not, it seems like we've been seeing a lot of declines, so maybe there's a, a different solution that needs to be found here. We've been talking to Brendan Hodge, and you can find the pillar linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Brendan, thank you. Thank you. You bet. And you can find all of our guests linked on a daily basis at sonrisemorningshow.com, which is also where you can find a link to our video live stream if you want to see how Matt's hair is doing this morning or what color coat I wear because I never take off my coat in the studio. sonrisemorningshow.com, also through YouTube and Facebook. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The head of the FBI says while Americans should not be panicking, he is concerned about the threat of a terror attack due to the Israel-Hamas war. FBI Director Christopher Wray told a House subcommittee yesterday that terrorist organizations, including al-Qaeda and ISIS, have called for attacks on the United States and its allies. Wray said the agency is most concerned about domestic extremists. He advised Americans to not panic, but stay alert. Pope Francis once again prayed for the war in the Holy Land, which has now been raging for 41 days. During his general audience yesterday, he asked the faithful to pray for peace every day, wherever there is war. In addition to the war between Israel and Hamas, the Holy Father again appealed for martyred Ukraine, which suffers so much, and for all those suffering in the civil war in Sudan. And he said, let us pray for peace every day. Take some time to pray for peace we desire peace. The Holy Father is beginning to wrap up his general audience catechesis series on apostolic zeal, summarizing it through the lens of his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, or the joy of the gospel. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Gesù è la gioia. 
Jesus is the source of our joy and our faithful friend. He is with us on our journey. The Holy Father reminded the faithful that as Christians, we have Christ as our faithful friend who's always at our side, no matter what we face. The Lord, the Pope suggested, is always with us in all we do. Our personal encounter with Christ, Pope Francis highlighted, makes us new and fills us with joy. L'incontro con Gesù sempre ti porta la gioia. The question, dear brothers and sisters, is therefore not whether to proclaim him, but how to proclaim him. And this how, he said, is joy. Either we proclaim Jesus with joy, or we do not proclaim him, because any other way of proclaiming the Lord is not capable, he noted, of bringing the true reality of Jesus. The Pope recalled a passage from the Gospel according to St. Luke, which tells the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, who were filled with joy after encountering the Lord. One returns to daily life with the impetus of one who has found a treasure the Holy Father noted, adding they were joyful, these two, because they had found Jesus, and he changed their lives. An encounter with Jesus, he noted, always brings you joy, and if this does not happen to you, it is not a true encounter with the Lord. Pope Francis concluded by offering comforting words for the faithful to take to heart and some homework. Each of us today, he noted, must take a little time and think, you, Jesus, are the source of my joy. Tu, Gesù, sei la fonte della gioia. You are within me. I want to meet you every day. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Abortion will continue to be the preeminent priority when it comes to what Catholics should be thinking about in the voting booth. The Catholic News Agency reports the U.S. bishops yesterday debated and then voted on a revised introduction to the document forming consciences for faithful citizenship during their fall general assembly in Baltimore. The vote to approve it with the language of abortion being preeminent was 225 to 11 with seven abstentions. The Senate passed stopgap funding bill to avoid a government shutdown. The vote was 87 to 11, with just 60 votes needed to pass. It will now head to the desk of President Biden to be signed. It extends government funding through early next year. President Biden says his meetings yesterday with Chinese President Xi Jinping were some of the, quote, most constructive and productive discussions he says the pair has ever had. More from Mark Mayfield. Biden said in a post on X that the two built on the groundwork laid over the past several months of diplomacy and that important progress was made. During a press conference, Biden said the two countries will now resume military-to-military talks as well as restoring cooperation on reducing the amount of fentanyl shipped directly from China. This was the first time in a year that the two leaders have met. Speaking on the continued conflict in Gaza, Biden said he doesn't see an end until there is a two-state solution. I'm Mark Mayfield. The dicastery for the doctrine of the faith yesterday reaffirmed that Catholics are forbidden from Freemasonry. Vatican News reports this was in response to a question posed by a Filipino bishop who was concerned about a continuous rise of Freemasons in his diocese. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. 
click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Why do we receive the gift of counsel? We receive the gift of counsel to warn us of the deceits of the devil, of the dangers to salvation, and to allow us to hear God speaking to us. Counsel. A good businessman will have many counselors. And this is also the way of the spiritual life. Because I do not know the way forward, I have to have someone to guide my steps. And this person who guides me is the Holy Spirit. He warns me of the devil. He warns me of the dangers to salvation, especially dangers which I may not myself recognize. But above all, the Holy Spirit comes and speaks within me, the one who speaks to us interiorly, telling us, this is what God wants you to do. This is the way to salvation. And so we can say, come Holy Spirit, help my ears always to be open to God's word. Inflame my heart so that when I hear a counsel, I might follow it willingly. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and Joseph Pierce is, of course, a visiting professor of literature at Ave Maria University, a visiting fellow of Thomas More College of Liberal Arts. He's got stuff with the Augustine Institute, St. Austin Review. You can go to jpierce.co and find all kinds of great things. Joseph, good morning. Good morning, Matt. All right, so if you think American politics is bewildering, and it is, uh, following the back and forth in English history under revolutionary circumstances can be even more bewildering. But with the case of Queen Mary Tudor, if you could, like, what were the f- the facts, the, the circumstances surrounding how she came to be recognized as queen? Yeah, well, basically, she was quite clearly the legitimate uh, heir to the throne. Nobody uh, seriously disputed that. But there were many people in England that did not want a Catholic monarch returning to the throne after Henry VIII. Uh, had uh, basically broken with with the church, and so there were shenanigans, I suppose you could call it. And there was a, a, a means by getting the the ailing king shortly before his death, the young king Edward the Sixth, to 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 write a will which which made uh, Lady Jane Grey on very tenuous grounds the heir to the throne. So it's, it's what you would probably call in modern terminology an attempt at a, at a coup, which which failed because uh, the vast majority of the people. Uh, knew that Mary Tudor was the true queen and also wanted her as queen. Well, and not only that, she represented uh, a return to Catholicism for the kingdom, however briefly, but, I mean, how did Catholic England respond when Mary is crowned? Well, I mean, with absolute jubilation, um, and uh, we need to remember only three years earlier, that basically the whole of England has risen, uh, uh, uprising across the whole of England after Edward VI's uh, regime had banned the mass. 
and when the mass was banned on the day after the Sunday when mass was banned, there were uprisings across the length and breadth of the country. The English were a very devout Catholic country at, the, at, at that time. It was estimated that only about 12% of the population were Protestant, which means 88% were Catholic. So obviously she was a very popular queen, and, and when she rode from the, the house in Suffolk where she was imprisoned, Framlingham Castle, uh, where she was imprisoned to London, it was it was it was a triumphal march basically with people coming out in the streets. The streets of London being decorated, uh, it was absolute jubilation. The people wanted Mary to be queen because they wanted the restoration of the Catholic faith. So you've got a lot of fascinating things about what this was like and things that we may not think about, but you know. Henry VIII and the dissolution of the monasteries and people going into hiding and all the things that happened through the course of, of that. Uh, I guess that when Mary was crowned, a bunch of people who had been hiding stuff kind of brought it back out and said, hey, uh, <laughs> we, we were putting this in hiding for safekeeping because we weren't sure what was going to happen. And now they, I guess a lot of them brought things out, uh, paintings and statues and some other stuff uh, that, that had been sort of spared from the purge, as it were. Yeah, so basically, uh, following the dissolution of the monasteries, they, they, because uh, the uh, the avaricious king and his cohorts amongst the aristocracy wanted as much of the church's gold and wealth as they get their hands on. But once they finished with the monasteries and the convents, they started the parish churches and and, and stripping the altar, stripping the gold, uh, taking anything of value uh, for themselves. So the people sort of hid this stuff away, um, uh, uh, and in some cases purchased it, um, but basically to save it from being taken by, by, uh, by those who were just basically stealing from the church. And, and they, they, they returned it with, um, to, to basically redecorate, to replenish the church, to, to restore it to the splendor of its pre-dereliction uh, uh, days, of its, of its true Catholicism. So people just, just returned crucifixes, images, paintings of the Blessed Virgin, you name it, so that the churches will once again, if you like, re-Catholicize, if you can use that word. Well, that being said, obviously, over the course of time before this brief Catholic restoration, there would have been a lot of people who had rallied to uh, the Protestant cause in England. So I imagine that she was not met without resistance. Well, the most important thing is, of course, that the only way that King Henry VIII could get away with his imposition uh, um, of himself as head of the church was to bribe the, the arist aristocracy. So basically he handed off, parceled out the church's land to these aristocrats who are now living you know, uh, on, the, on the land that belonged to the church. They're now live, turning m abbeys into their own stately homes. Uh, Etc. Now these people obviously are, 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 do not want to give this Ill, these ill-gotten gains back, this stolen property back. So they have a vested interest in terms of purely secular terms in, in, in not allowing Mary Tudor to, to restore uh, Catholic property to the Catholic Church. So they form a natural resistance, but it is an elite for the most part. The vast majority of the ordinary people are fully Catholic and in support of the Queen. But, but of course, there is now this powerful aristocracy who are more powerful than ever because of the wealth that they had actually stolen from the Church. It is uh, a fascinating thing to think about, but, you know, one wonders... Um and I, I feel like maybe the uh, the, the title of, of Bloody Mary we can probably get into in a future uh, segment just because there's so many different aspects to the political uh, 
pieces of that, but one wonders, uh, you know, if if there had been kind of if there hadn't been so many people who were in that aristocratic place, right? So many wealthy people pushing back. If this thing might not have gone a little bit differently. Oh, very much so. I mean, one example I give in my book is of the Duke of Bedford, who who uh, he 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 uh, acquired Woburn Abbey, which was a, a big abbey in Bedfordshire, just north of London. And when the Queen, uh, Queen Mary, sought to leave by example by giving back all the land that Henry had stolen, that land which he had then parceled out to others, but the land still belonged to the to the crown, she handed all of that back to the to the, to the church and and re- restored and reestablished monasteries and convents, hoping to leave by example. Well, the Duke of Bedford basically said, "Well, to hell with that," and he took his rosary which he wore around his belt and threw it in the fire, saying that his uh, his own home. Uh, the uh, uh, Woburn Abbey was more valuable to him than anything that the church had to offer. So this this really, if you like, it, it, just giving one example, epitomizes the problem we have. These people had acquired a great deal of wealth and were not willing to give it back. Yeah, it uh, it comes to a head, and we'll, uh, we'll save that story for next time uh, because, well, let's just say there is some drama and complication involved with it. But in the meantime, Joseph, if our listeners want to connect with you, find some of the various great resources you've got on English history, and even pick up maybe a copy of this book, Faith of Our Fathers, how do they do so? They can do all of the above and keep up with what I'm doing on a, on a daily basis. I posted two new things this morning, for instance, by go to my personal website, jpearce.co, J-P-E-A-R-C-E.co. Lots and lots of great resources there at Joseph's site. He's always got something that he's up to. And, uh, you know, if you want to cuddle up with a good book by a a fire or even just sit on the vent and uh, read something, Joseph has got just such a great set of commentaries on all kinds of the really the best that the Christian literary tradition has to offer. So uh, head on over to Joseph's site. It's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We're going to be back with pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast, plus headlines right after this. It's a quarter till. Support is for MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hi, this is Mike Aquilino with a few words about St. Irenaeus. 
It's only recently that Pope Francis has declared him to be a doctor of the church. And this is unusual because he's been dead for many centuries, almost two millennia. But I think he's a man for our time because he's teaching us to think, to have an educated faith, to know the reasons for what we believe and then present those to a skeptical world. On the next More to Life, Marriage Madness. Marital struggles will help you celebrate the relationship God wants for you. That's later today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. We continue on this Thursday, November 16th with headlines. Here's Anna Mitchell. Abortion will continue to be the preeminent priority when it comes to what Catholics should think about in the voting booth. That according to the U.S. bishops who voted yesterday on the Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship document. The Senate has passed a stopgap funding bill to avoid a government shutdown. And during his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis once again asked the faithful to pray for peace every day. Next newscast coming up at the top of the hour. Anna Mitchell, we're a week away from Thanksgiving. And uh, for those who are listening next hour, you and I were talking about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. Rita Heikenfeld, who is kind of our Thanksgiving go-to helper, picked two of my all-time favorite recipes. Yeah, it's the appetizer Yes, uh, it's the appetizer segment. episode. I don't want to spoil it, episode. but I will say there's two of my favorites. And up in our local hour... Danielle Bean's going to be talking about pies. All right. She is our pie expert here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Everybody's got a specialty. Everybody's got a specialty. Mm-hmm. We're joined now by pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast. And Kevin, do you have anything that you make during the holiday? Do you have a specialty? Oh, oh yeah. I, I love to make bread and, uh, you know, muffins and that kind of thing. So I'm kind of good at that. And uh, I'm great at chopping vegetables, Matt. There so you that's, go. That's my, yeah, there we go. You're, uh, you're handy with a knife. As it were. <laughs> well, I usually slice myself too. So, okay. <laughs> That's true. Well, luckily, you know lots of first responders. Uh, if you, I, I do. Uh, if yeah. you catch the end of your so, thumb. Uh, right. Kevin Prendergast has been doing all kinds of wonderful things in the world of pastoral counseling as a licensed counselor, uh, working in the classroom as well. And we've been going through grief and different ways to approach it. I wonder where you wanted to take the conversation today. Yeah, Matt. So especially with the holidays coming up here, I think this uh, maybe some helpful tips tips for people. We've been talking about maybe some things that we can do to get through grief or task of grief. And we've talked about, you know, one is just accepting the reality that our loved one is gone and then uh, taking time to grieve. Again, that, you know, grief that goes on for a year or two is not abnormal, right? That it, it goes back and forth. It oscillates, swings, there's, there's waves. And today, uh, this the next task would be to adjust to a world without my beloved deceased, right? So there's three things that struck me in there, Matt. One would be this, uh, we move from sadness in the earlier stages. We still have some of that, but we move more into worry and anxiety about the future. So we're starting to look at the future. Second thing would be trying to find meaning. And for those of us who are Catholic Christians, trying to restore our faith after a death, and then come up with a new identity. So that first one, worry, uh, you know, one thing that hits us right after a death is, uh, you know, whether it's in friendships and a family and a marriage, we usually divide up roles, right? Uh, so like, a, you know, one with friendship would be there, there are certain people in my life that have been very close friends. We've gone through a lot together. 
and they know everything. And so I'm very comfortable talking with them. So when they die, which some of my friends have passed away very close, it's like, well, who do I, who do I share this stuff with? I've got nobody. I don't have a confidant. A couple of years ago, my go-to confessor died of a heart attack, right? Mm -hmm. So it was difficult because, you know, I trusted him and I'd gotten to know him. And in a marriage, you know, the day-to-day -day reality, usually, you know, somebody is better at doing the cooking, like you were saying, or the housework or the finances or the repairs or has a, a certain gift with the kids. Or was the, uh, the one person who got them to get out of the house and go do something, right? And now Correct. the person who's yeah. left is has nobody helping yeah. them go do social things. That's right. And that that's the danger is that we can withdraw, right? So we can collapse and we can get stuck. And I, I think I sent you a little story. Queen Victoria uh, was married for 20 years. Her husband died when she was 42. And then she dressed in black every day for the rest of her life, the next 40 years. And she didn't really move on with her life, right? So, so when her the beloved Prince Albert died, like her life stopped at that point, right? So this idea of uh, where we worry and we can, that's where our faith comes in, of asking for some courage to deal with these, maybe I need to acquire some new skills. I never took care of the finances in the family because my husband was a CPA, right? So how do I, I step forward and do that or learn some other skills to move forward? I adapt new roles and I develop new ways to get support. So that's challenging, but God will give us the faith for that. The other part about faith, Matt, and I would really recommend, again, a lot of our readers or listeners already read C.S. Lewis's very poignant and honest book about the death of his wife after they had been married for four years. Um, he, he married late and she got cancer. And uh, so, so he tells the story and uh, a grief observed. And it's a wonderful story. And he gets at this. So C.S. Lewis was a convert to Christianity very deep faith, wrote a lot uh, in Christian spirituality and and prayer, uh, but he questioned God. And I think it's a wonderful book. It kind of reminds me very much of the book of Job, where Job's friends um, get upset with him because Job gets angry at God and curses God, right? And and there, uh, C.S. Lewis is, is questioning, like, why have you abandoned me? So I think part of this next stage here of adapting to a world without my beloved deceased person is that I have to find a new faith. I have to get a deeper relationship with the Lord. And I might question, and I might really be down in the dark places, but that's okay. That's you know part of what our faith tells us, is that God will get us through that. And the last thing, Matt, would be uh, I have to start putting some energy into what am I going to do with the rest of my life, right? So I mourn my friend. I always remember my friend. I think of the good times, the bad times that we had together. I, I'm grateful for what we shared, but I, one question I ask my clients a lot when they've had a significant loss is, if your son was sitting here, if your wife was sitting here, if your mother was sitting here, what would she tell you? What advice would she give you? And inevitably, 100% of the time, you know, when somebody is really in a bad place, what they will respond, they'll, they'll stop for a second, they'll think, well, she would tell me to get on with my life. She'd tell me not to withdraw, to go out into the world, that you're going to be okay, have your faith, trust in God, right? So we know what those people that are close to us would say, and that's, I think, a very helpful kind of prayer meditation is, you know, what would what's, what's Jesus asking me to do right now with the rest of my life? What's my new identity going to be, be like? And my identity is not all defined by the loss. So whether that's a traumatic loss or just a, a long 
you know, long suffering long death coming. that somebody you know, goes through. Yeah. As you're, as you're saying this, it, it reminds me too, uh, to even flip that question around. If I were the mm-hmm. one who had yeah. passed on, how would I want, you know, the people in my life to go on? I would not want them to like, no, you know, just never touch any of my things, right? Never like yeah. move on. Like I would, I would want people to go and, and live, <laughs> you know, and have a, yeah. have a, you know, a fulfilling life. Yeah, but sometimes, like in a marriage, we can feel like, especially if our if we're younger and and our spouse dies, like how can I ever recommit to anybody else? And and of course, at the beginning, I can't give the person's belongings away. I can't change the way the house is set up, and I'm certainly not going to date again. Well, that's part of that early stage, the first year or two. That makes sense. Five years on, it doesn't make sense anymore, and it's destructive. So I have to engage and. And so I would want my spouse to go on. I don't want my spouse to pull the curtains and, you know, sit sit in the house and, and dress in black for the rest of her life. Uh, so why, why would I do that, uh, you know, if she passed away first? Yeah, and uh, you, you've got some other um, great stuff to say uh, about all this. I know as we get closer to yeah. uh, into Advent and towards Christmas and beyond, and there's going to be mm-hmm. more conversations to be had about these kinds of things. We appreciate you, Kevin Prendergast. We've got you linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a wonderful day. To you too, Matt. Have a good Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. And we're praying for all of you who are experiencing grief and loss, whether you experienced it very recently or where you, whether you've experienced it in the past year or two, and these times of year really tend to bring it back up. May the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. We're back with another full hour coming up after the break. It's 3 Till. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. It is Thursday the 16th of, of November, and since the bishops have worked on a recommendation of St. John Henry Newman to be thought of as a doctor of the church, let's pray a prayer of his in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I sacrifice to thee, O Lord, this cherished wish, this lust, this weakness, this scheme, this opinion. Make me what thou wouldst have me. I bargain for nothing. I make no terms. I seek for no previous information whither thou art taking me. I will be what thou wilt make me, and all that thou wilt make me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. John Henry Newman, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you are with us here on a Thursday morning. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We got uh, a video feed that Travis has got up and running. He has got it linked if you want to go check it out in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, Dr. John Bergsma will continue our story, uh, our story, our series on the love story between God and his people. Uh, It's detailed in great length in his book, uh, Love Basics for Catholics. Rita Heikenfeld has some Thanksgiving recipes for you, uh, some really good appetizers this week. Gary Machuda will look at how we can trust 
the witness of the people who came in the generation after the apostles. And then Courtney Brown is continuing the series he's been doing with us on uh, theology of the body for elementary schoolers. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The head of the FBI says while Americans should not be panicking, he is concerned about the threat of a terror attack due to the Hamas-Israel war. FBI Director Christopher Ray told a House subcommittee yesterday that terrorist organizations, including al-Qaeda and the Islamic State, have called for attacks on the U.S. and its allies. Ray said the agency is most concerned about domestic extremists and advised Americans to not panic but to stay alert. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis asked the faithful to pray daily for peace. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. At the conclusion of his Wednesday general audience, Pope Francis turned his thoughts to the many nations suffering the horrors of war, and he asked for prayers for peace every day, wherever there is war. Preghiamo, fratelli e sorelle, per la pace. In particular, on Wednesday, the Pope asked for prayers for tormented Ukraine, which is suffering so much. Since the invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, over 9,600 civilians have been killed and over 17,500 injured. In Terra Santa, Palestina, Israel. Francis also asked for prayers for the Holy Land in Palestine and Israel. On the 7th of October, over 1,400 Israelis were killed in attacks perpetrated by Hamas. And since then, Israeli airstrikes in retaliation on the Gaza Strip have killed over 11,000 people, and some 2,500 are missing under the rubble, according to the local health ministry in Gaza. Finally, the Pope turned his thoughts to Sudan, where an estimated 9,000 people have been killed and another 5.6 million forced to flee their homes due to a devastating war between two rival military factions that erupted back in April. That civil war has been described as a humanitarian catastrophe with visible signs of ethnic cleansing, according to the UK's Minister for Africa. The Pope said, let us remember wherever there is war, and there are so many in the world. He said, let us pray for peace every day. Take some time to pray for peace in our world as we desire peace. I'm Thaddeus Jones. Abortion will continue to be the preeminent priority when it comes to what Catholics should be thinking about in the voting booth. The Catholic News Agency reports the U.S. bishops yesterday debated and then voted on a revised introduction to the document forming consciences for faithful citizenship during their fall General Assembly in Baltimore. The vote to approve it with the new language of abortion being preeminent was 225 to 11 with seven abstentions. It says, quote, the threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks our most vulnerable and voiceless brothers and sisters and destroys more than a million lives per year in our country alone, end quote. President Biden says his meetings yesterday with Chinese President Xi Jinping were some of what he called the most constructive and productive discussions the two have had. Biden said in a post that the two built on groundwork laid over the past several months of diplomacy and that important progress was made. During a press conference later in the day, Biden said the two countries will now resume military-to-military talks, as well as restoring cooperation on reducing the amount of fentanyl shipped directly from China. The Senate has passed a stopgap bill to fund the government and avoid a government shutdown. 
Mark Mayfield reports. The vote was 87 to 11 with just 60 votes needed to pass. It now heads to the desk of President Biden to be signed. Both Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell say they support the bill that extends government funding through early next year. House Speaker Mike Johnson passed the measure with mostly Democratic votes after dozens of Republicans opposed the plan due to a lack of spending cuts. I'm Mark Mayfield. And a new poll is suggesting more than half of all American voters want other candidates to join the 2024 presidential race. More than a dozen candidates have already joined the race to the White House, but a new Quinnipiac poll says 52% of voters would like more options, including 72% of independents and 58% of Democrats. Today is Thursday, November the 16th. It is the feast of St. Gertrude the Great. Pray for us. Dr. John Berksma joins us next. It's 7 past. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share, 844-334-3245. It's eight minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us here on a Thursday morning. You can connect with us through sonrisemorningshow.com. It's where you can uh, check out the video feed that we now do on a daily basis here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Matt has bedhead today. If that doesn't wake you up and get you over to the video feed, I don't know what will. I do not have bedhead. I promise. I put my hair in a ponytail. You would never know. Anyway. Dr. John Bergsma joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So we are continuing to unpack the marital imagery that is amazingly found in the crucifixion. Jesus, the bridegroom, laying his life down for his bride, the church, and so last time we talked about the, the final moments of his death with him saying in most translations it is finished, but you were telling us how the Douay Reims version has a better translation when Jesus says it is consummated, and then they pierce his side, blood and water flow out, which take us back to the wedding at Cana, and then now he has been taken down from the cross. We have a dead body dr bergsma it needs to be buried what could possibly be romantic about that well one of the first things we see is nicodemus shows up 
And, of course, we've seen Nicodemus before. He's occurred, he has appeared twice in the Gospel, most notably back in Chapter 3, where he had a discussion with Jesus about how to be born again. But um, here, Nicodemus shows up, and he's got a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes. Now, Anna, myrrh and aloes were expensive perfumes, like the kind of stuff that you buy at the airport in the duty-free shop you know, by Christian Dior or Mm -hmm. Dolce & Gabbana and all this stuff. And so super expensive, right? You know, stuff that's going to cost you a hundred bucks for like a six-ounce bottle. And he, you know, a hundred ounces of Marinella's, Anna, would have been generous. And he comes with a hundred pounds. You know, that's like Chanel number five in ten five-gallon kegs, you know? Wow, yeah. It's, It's just incredible. And all of that is uh, anointed over his body. And the the, the point, uh, Anna, is myrrh and aloes only occur in the Bible in romantic contexts. Back in Song of Songs, Psalm 45, which is the royal wedding psalm, mm. and in a romantic scene in Proverbs 7. Yeah, so, I thought I actually, can I read all of these passages? And then maybe you can unpack it a little bit further, um, um, how these are marital. So here we go. Psalm 45, verse 7 says, uh, Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows, your robes and all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. It goes on from there. Then, uh, let's see here, Proverbs seven seventeen, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. And then Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 14, let me find it here, says, well, we'll start in 13 says, your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choices fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all chief spices. Wow. You, these are things that you just kind of overlook if you're, if you're just sort of reading through these passages. It's really amazing that, that it comes out like this in the, in the crucifixion story. It is, you know, and folks just read that and I think, oh, well, you know, myrrh was unembalming oil and, you know, aloes or whatever, and, uh, and we pass right by. But the Gospel of John is just an amazing writing where the Apostle is always aware of kind of the secondary meaning and deeper meaning of, of his words and descriptions and how mm-hmm. Jesus is fulfilling all of those previous scriptures. And as you can see from reading them, um, Anna, you know, they're, they're, they're like highly romantic passages, two yeah. about a royal wedding and, and another about, you know, very kind of erotic scene in, in Proverbs 7. So this is really, again, pointing to Jesus as, you know, our great bridegroom, the one who loves us so much, and here he is, you know, coming to the very act of, of giving his body, donating his body uh, to his bride. Now let's move into the tomb here. How does this take us all the way back to the book of Genesis? Yes, it's quite amazing. 
um, we read that our Lord was placed in the tomb, and then um, St. John makes the remark, it was a tomb in which uh, no one had ever been laid. And so Jesus is being laid, so to speak, in the virgin womb of Mother Earth. And it's not just that womb and tomb rhyme in English, that would be silly, but there's more than six passages of the Old Testament, Anna, that um, correlate the womb with the grave. Things like wow. Job, who famously says, Naked I came forth from my, wo- from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. But of course, he's not going to return to his mother's womb, he's going to be buried, but the grave was mystically correlated with the womb of the mother, like we see in Psalm 139, which says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was knit together in my mother's womb, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Well, obviously the mother's womb isn't literally the depths of the earth, but that's the correlation that you find consistently through the Old Testament. And there's only one other man in the Bible who, whose body, so to speak, comes forth or is born from the womb of Mother Earth, and that's Adam, whose father was God and whose mother was the soil, as we see in Genesis 2. And so Jesus, uh, returning to the soil, and then being, as it were, born on, on Easter morning from that, is the new Adam. And of course, Adam was the original bridegroom who was married to Eve in the Garden of Eden shortly after his creation. And isn't the Holy Sepulchre, the site of the Holy Sepulchre, isn't there a, a spot where you it says something like Adam's skull? Yes, absolutely. If you visit the Holy Sepulchre under Mount Calvary, uh, there is a, a hollowed-out place uh, where is the traditional site of veneration of the grave of Adam. And so, yes, it's a, it's a beautiful devotion that's pointing to the truth that uh, in Christ uh, we have a new Adam who undoes the sin of our first father. It's amazing. It's just amazing, all of this. And uh, you can read more about it in Love Basics for Catholics from Ave Maria Press. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bergsma, thank you. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. I look forward to it. All right, it's 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. 
We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. You know, we talk story with each of our very unique guests for the whole hour so that you can go deep with us as you yourself pursue your own story of heroic virtue and as you pursue intimacy with God. The Bear Wozniak Adventure, Saturday night, 6 Eastern on EWTN Radio. 18 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. Abortion will continue to be upheld as the preeminent priority when it comes to what Catholics should be thinking about in the voting booth. U.S. bishops voting on the forming consciences for faithful citizenship document yesterday. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis asked the faithful to pray daily for peace around the world. And the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has reaffirmed that Catholics are forbidden from Freemasonry. I mean, I could have told you that, but I know, right? Well, you know, apparently, I'm, a lot of Catholics don't. There's some questions. Know that it's just yeah. a charitable organization, right? Well, they just, like, yes raise and money no. for kids, right? There are a lot of things that are charitable organizations that I don't know that I am down with their whole program. If you know right. what I'm saying, right? So, there you go. Um. The only mason. I wonder thing if people I'm like are mason jars when I go to pickle. No, I don't I know if they have a connection maybe, to masonry or not. Maybe like Freemasonry, you know, had a resurgence in membership after um, you know Nicholas Cage and oh, National uh, Treasure. Which, by the way, so how does that movie begin? There's a flashback to this Freemasonic thing mm-hmm. where one of the last surviving signers of the Declaration of Independence delivers this Masonic whatever. We're going to steal the Declaration of Independence. But you know who does it? It's, uh... The Catholic, right? The Catholic. Yeah. The one Catholic who signed the... T- the one the one person who would not have been allowed to be a Freemason. Yeah. And they opened the scene. They could, You could have opened the scene. Like, literally. Like, Anyone. all the rest of them were Masons. But not all the rest of them. A great many of them a were Masons. A great many of them. If the Catholic was, he wasn't supposed to be, and I don't think he was. I can't imagine, so. Put the bunny back in the box. It's, just, it's such a it's, good movie. It's 20, <laughs> 21 minutes back past the hour. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. 
To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. O come, Creator Spirit, come, and make within our souls thy home. Supply thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. O gift of God most high, thy name is Comforter, whom we acclaim. The fount of life, the fire of love, the soul's anointing from above. The sevenfold gift of grace is thine, thou finger of the hand divine. The Father's promise true to teach, thy light to every sense impart, pour forth thy love in every heart. Our weakened flesh do thou restore, to strength and courage evermore. Drive far away our ghostly foe, thine own abiding peace bestow. If thou dost go before as guide, no evil can our steps betide. Through thee may we the Father learn, and know the Son, and thee discern, who art of both, and thus adore, in perfect faith forevermore. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Henry Steffen. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld, and what a great time of year to be able to have a friend like Rita that you have great access to as we think about what we're going to be making, who we're going to be eating with, uh, what kind of setup we want to have so that everybody's able to get along and get together and really enjoy some solid fellowship. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning, and boy, it's time's almost there. Thanksgiving's a week away, so... I know it. I know it. I'm excited. I just want to... It's one of my favorite times of year for so many reasons, Uh, but you wanted to highlight a few different things about Mm -hmm. hospitality and preparation and point to little uh, passages from the scripture to sort of connect those things that we're going to be doing as we prepare with some ways that people prepared in the Bible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, And one of my, oh gosh, there's several favorites of mine, but, um, you know, of course when we entertain guests or even if we're just... um, Having family, we always wash our hands before we eat. But um, in Bible times, and I wanted you um, to talk about this a little bit because your expertise is pretty cool on this subject. Uh, Guests wouldn't wash their hands just in static water. They would have somebody pour water over their hands in a running stream. And can you tell a little bit why that was such a, a wonderful tradition? Well, there are a few different things to highlight about that. One is because you don't have a sink, <laughs> right? So it's kind of like a, someone acting as a faucet. But also mm-hmm. uh, there's the great uh, story of um, Elisha pouring water on Elijah's hands, uh, bearing in mind that Elijah was Elisha's superior. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, you know, the other thing it fast forwards me to is Jesus washing the apostles' feet, right, yeah, as a sign of yeah. service. But I can't help but think when I uh, see that image, um, and Elisha was later on referred to as the guy who poured water over Elijah's hands, um, but I can't help but think about my son, who's an altar server, and uh, there's that part of the Mass where, yes. as part of the preparation, he always pours water over Father's hands, <laughs> you know, uh, before he continues with the celebration of the Mass. So yeah, it's a really rich image. Yeah, and as you said, um, you know, every during mass, it, it just brings us back to that point, and and I love that. And my one of my other favorites is in Hebrews. Hebrews, it says, "Do not be willing to forget hospitality, for by it, certain persons, without realizing it, have received angels as guests." And we have talked about that before, and that really hits home here because you never know in, in the crowd who you're entertaining. Um, 
the gifts they bring and the blessings they bring as well, don't you think? I uh, I believe it. And, you know, sometimes the person that you might least expect is going to be the person you have an amazing conversation with uh, this year, somebody who you might not think that you have a ton in common with, and then you finally get sat next to them at the table and or put next to them in the checks mix in the living room. <laughs> you know, it yep. is, a, is a wonderful thing. Uh, now, in Luke 7... Uh, the host of the banquet greets guests with a holy kiss. Uh, of course, we talked about foot washing. That's mm-hmm. definitely something that uh, shows up in the Bible. But what about? Uh, I, I mean, I I really enjoy your perspective, not just because you give us great recipes, because I, you also remind us, like when we have these gatherings, uh, it's so easy to get caught up in the prep and the cleanup. But I, I mean. How would you encourage people to not lose sight of what we're really doing when we get together like this? Well, the first thing I always think, especially for myself, is, is try to be present um, when you're hosting a, a gathering. It, what it means for people to eat together, it's, uh, as I always say, it's not just about the food, but who sits on the chairs. You bond over meals. And, and when you eat with somebody, you know this, Matt, it says you're friends and that you share a common bond through food and, and um, conversation. So, and, and then when you have Thanksgiving, I just think it when you have family and friends over, it just multiplies the enjoyment, just of the simple enjoyment of eating. And I love, too, that I reminded uh, myself, too, Jesus loved eating with people, including sinners and tax collectors. So um, just some tips for your Thanksgiving dinner. First of all, if you're a novice, just stick to the essentials. Don't be trying a bunch of new stuff. Been there, done that. Just like turkey, dressing, a simple cranberry sauce, potatoes, and, of course, lots of gravy, and maybe a side vegetable, some green beans, a green bean casserole, and that's it. Um, be present for your guests and try not to, to kill yourself in the process. You'll be overwhelmed, and you won't be a guest at your own party. Well, and it is helpful, especially if you're not used to cooking on that scale or mm-hmm. some of these things like a turkey. They take some time. Uh, so appetizers are very important, and you've pulled out two of my all-time favorite recipes that you and I have discussed this time of year. I wonder if you could run through them for our listeners. Oh, sure. Mine is so easy. It was from my daughter, uh, daughter-in-law, Jesse. Sounds weird. It's not the prettiest kid on the block, but so delicious. It's baked Swiss and cranberry dip, and all you do, Matt, is you mix together some whipped cream cheese, some apricot preserves, some shredded Swiss cheese and dried cranberries, Stir it all up, put it in a shallow casserole and bake it in the oven, um, and we serve it with Triscuits. It's not too sweet. It's not too savory. It's just the right amount, you know, to stave off the hunger. And then yours, which I am doing this year, the pumpkin cheese fondue, that is so delicious. And that's sort of gourmet, but you know what? It's easily done. What you do is you've got a pumpkin hollowed out, and then you've got some toasted baguette uh, slices, and then you make this wonderful custard, creamy custard um, that's got cream and, and chicken broth and cheese in it, some Gruyere, like a nice Swiss and some Emmental. And you layer that um, the baguette slices and the custard together in that pumpkin and bake it. Oh, my gosh, it puffs up. People look at it, and they're just, they just want to dive right into it. So we have yep. two, one a little, a very easy one that takes a little more time, but worth it. So that's yep. uh, my... That uh, pumpkin fondue, the best part is, so you got your broth and your cream and your cheese mm-hmm. and your baguette all layered up, but when you, like, scoop it out, you scrape a little of that pumpkin off the inside and get some of that in there, too. I know. It's, it's just delicious. It's one, it's one that I could make a meal out of. And it looks cool on a table, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... 
Rita Heikenfeld, we've got your recipes. They are in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much. Have a happy Thanksgiving. I will, and I hope that all of our listeners and readers do the same, Matt. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna with news. Good morning. The FBI, the head of the FBI, says while Americans should not be panicking, he is concerned about the threat of a terror attack due to the Israel-Hamas war. FBI Director Christopher Wray was speaking to a House subcommittee yesterday. He said terrorist organizations, including al-Qaeda and ISIS, have called for attacks on the U.S. and its allies. He said the agency is most concerned about domestic extremists and advised Americans not to panic but to stay alert. Pope Francis has once again prayed for the war in the Holy Land, which now has been raging for 41 days. He asked the faithful to pray for peace every day, wherever there is war. In addition to the war between Israel and Gaza, the Holy Father specifically mentioned martyred Ukraine, which suffers so much, and for all those suffering in the civil war in Sudan. He said, let us pray for peace every day. Take some time to pray for peace. We desire peace. Pope Francis is beginning to wrap up his catechesis series on apostolic zeal, now summarizing it through the lens of his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, or the joy of the gospel. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Jesus is the source of our joy and our faithful friend. He is with us on our journey. The Holy Father reminded the faithful that as Christians, we have Christ as our faithful friend who's always at our side, no matter what we face. The Lord, the Pope suggested, is always with us in all we do. Our personal encounter with Christ, Pope Francis highlighted, makes us new and fills us with joy. The question, dear brothers and sisters, is therefore not whether to proclaim him, but how to proclaim him. And this how, he said, is joy. Either we proclaim Jesus with joy, or we do not proclaim him, because any other way of proclaiming the Lord is not capable, he noted, of bringing the true reality of Jesus. The Pope recalled a passage from the Gospel according to St. Luke, which tells the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, who were filled with joy after encountering the Lord. One returns to daily life with the impetus of one who has found a treasure, the Holy Father noted, adding they were joyful, these two, because they had found Jesus, and he changed their lives. An encounter with Jesus, he noted, always brings you joy, and if this does not happen to you, it is not a true encounter with the Lord. Pope Francis concluded by offering comforting words for the faithful to take to heart and some homework. Each of us today, he noted, must take a little time and think, you, Jesus, are the source of my joy. You are within me. I want to meet you every day. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Abortion will continue to be upheld as the preeminent priority when it comes to what Catholics should be thinking about in the voting booth. The Catholic News Agency reports the U.S. bishops yesterday debated and then voted on a revised introduction to the document forming consciences for faithful citizenship during their fall general assembly. The vote to approve it with the language of abortion being preeminent was 225 to 11 with seven abstentions. It says, quote, the threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks our most vulnerable and voiceless brothers and sisters and destroys more than a million lives per year in our country alone, end quote. In Washington, the Senate has passed a stopgap bill to fund the government and avoid a shutdown. 
The vote was 87 to 11 with just 60 votes needed to pass. It will now head to the desk of President Biden to be signed. It will extend government funding through early next year. President Biden Biden says his meetings yesterday with Chinese President Xi Jinping were some of what he called the most constructive and productive discussions the two have had. More from Mark Mayfield. Biden said in a post on X that the two built on the groundwork laid over the past several months of diplomacy and that important progress was made. During a press conference, Biden said the two countries will now resume military-to-military talks as well as restoring cooperation on reducing the amount of fentanyl shipped directly from China. This was the first time in a year that the two leaders have met. Speaking on the continued conflict in Gaza, Biden said he doesn't see an end until there is a two-state solution. I'm Mark Mayfield. And the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith yesterday issued answers to questions from a bishop reaffirming that Catholics are forbidden from Freemasonry. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. We do not know much about St. Paul's personal life, but it appears that he must have liked sports. He uses sports analogies in his different writings, including the first letter to the Corinthians chapter 9. He writes there, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. St. Paul teaches us that all who have the gift of faith are athletes for Christ. Just as athletes discipline their bodies to run the race, we must discipline our souls and bodies so that we never lose focus of what our true goal is, everlasting life with Christ. St. Paul is the motivator for all of us when we get tired or want to fall out of the race. He knows what it takes because he's already run the race. He knows we need the Holy Spirit. Christians need the spiritual discipline of prayer, the sacraments, and a life of generous service. Christians also need the physical discipline of turning away from sin and living a life of virtue. When the runners win the perishable crown, they usually want to go to Disneyland. As we run for the imperishable crown of holiness, our goal is a lot greater. We want to go to heaven. And we hear this from the heart of St. Paul. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. We're a week out from Thanksgiving. I like to know what some of our regular guests do, like if they have a job in the house. Gary Machuda joining us now from Hands-On Apologetics. Gary, good morning. How are you? Morning, Matt. What job do they have you on at Thanksgiving? Uh, I'm in charge of eating the turkey. There you go. There you go. I do a good job at it, too. I thought you were going to say you're in charge of staying out of the way. (laughs) Yeah, actually, that is my official charge. That and uh, consuming turkey, um, those are the biggies. Well, that's a very difficult responsibility, but I'm sure you're, you're up to the task. 
you're up to the task. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm pretty tall, so if they need something off the, uh, you know, those dishes that are stored away for special occasions, there you go. I'm the guy. Good yeah. stuff. Well, we've been going through your book, The Gospel Truth, and looking at the reliability of the gospel accounts and the reliability of, uh, really, as we're talking about today, the historic teaching of the church. We talked a little bit about how uh, many checks and balances there would have been during the lifetime of the apostles to make sure that what they were teaching came out the way that Jesus wanted it to. Uh, what kind of verification um, do we need to do when it comes to that next generation, the ones who were taught directly by the apostles? Yeah, um, well, it, basically we're using a principle of multiple attestations all pointing to the same direction. Right, because if you want to get a story straight, you might ask your kids, okay, what happened? If they all say the same story, either they colluded or, or they actually have a source, you know, a common source of most likely what actually did happen. Uh, of course, you know, in a family you can clue, but if you ask, like, independent sources and you have five or six people basically saying the same thing, then you're pretty sure that they all have a single source of unity because things don't fall into order, they fall into chaos, right? And so when you see uh, correlations like that, you figure, okay, they got a common source. Well, we can use that same methodology in our mental experiment of, okay, well, let's say we live, you know, a generation after the apostles, the apostles that died, and we're in a church where it's uh, somebody who is a bishop that was appointed there by an apostle, how do we know what they say actually corresponds to what actually happened? Well, we could use that methodology to, you know, to do all sorts of lines of inquiry to find out whether or not uh, this is true. Well, I think about the idea that happens in detective work, but also this happens in the case of, uh, you know, Susanna being, you know, accused of things by two elders and what do they do you split them up and you put them in different rooms and you see if they if they tell the same story well you don't have to right. do that with the early church because the church is already split up into places like antioch and ephesus and corinth and right. all these little rome so all you got to do instead of splitting these things up you just go to these different towns right i mean that's actually what irenaeus recommends just go and see like where where these churches are that these guys founded, and see if they're still doing what the apostles said to, that they should be doing. Yeah, and that's actually even stronger than today, because remember, they didn't have the internet or telecommunications. They didn't even have, like, modern mail. It took months for letters to be traveled from one place to another. So the fact that Christianity spreads uh, actually makes it a lot easier to verify information just simply by checking what different locations taught and whether it goes back to the apostles. Well, I'm just thinking about the Ephesians, uh, right? So mm -hmm. Paul spends years with the Ephesians and, you know, is weeping and, you know, heartbroken when he has to leave them, spent all kinds of time with them. We get one short letter from Paul to the Ephesians. Even if all you've got is that letter, you you can't assume that, like, once Paul dies, everybody who was there and stayed up all night crying and talking with him suddenly forgets everything he ever said, right? Like, that generation that comes after him. Some people were like, kids. They heard Paul teach as kids. Surely, those people who went on to live longer lives and raise families would have retained a little bit of that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so if you're in there, you could check with the congregation, people who actually knew the apostles or, you know, um, uh, disciples of the apostles, ask them, did they teach the same thing that that you heard today? And they could tell you why. And also, you know, not only that, but the order of worship as well. You know, certain prayers are loaded with content of doctrine, songs that are sung, even maybe even architecture in some ways, uh, you know, can point to or manifest, you know, what was preached at the very beginning. And then, uh, like we mentioned last time we spoke, you don't even have to just stay at the church in Ephesus. You can go to all the other churches in the area or even further away and, and do the same kind of inquiry there. And again, if they all match or, you know, they both, all of them point in the same direction, then you have pretty high confidence that it must have came from the same, the same earlier source, which has to be Jesus and the apostles. So here's where it gets really interesting to me, Gary, is it's one thing for us to say that the church had this sort of solid teaching from the beginning that was handed on by Christ. And, you know, some people might say, oh, it was all fabricated by people in a group, and, you know, they suppressed all the other bad ideas, you know, and this one won out because, you know, history is written by the winners and so on, so on and so forth. Except the problem is, is that you don't even have to look around the pages of the early church uh, after the apostles. You can look at the letters of St. Paul and realize that there were a whole bunch of people who were clearly getting this wrong and in need of correction. So it's not like the church is trying to hide that there were people who didn't get this, right? The church is very clear that there were some people who did a bad— like the Corinthians and Galatians, they had some growing pains. But at the end of the day, they were still under the authority of these apostles who were guiding them back on the rails. Right. Yeah, and also— Remember, the Orthodox Christians wrote against those that were heretical, and so we know what the heretical groups are through the writings. In fact, Irenaeus of Leon, like you just mentioned, uh, his information about the Gnostics uh, came, you know, the only way we knew about the Gnostics was largely through letters like his. And then, lo and behold, later on, when we actually discover the Gnostic text, it fits really well with you know, what Irenaeus argued, and that makes perfect sense, because if you're going to argue against somebody, you don't want to strawman their position, you want to get it accurate so you can knock it down, right? So, I mean, in a way, if they're, you know, false teachings and stuff like that are preserved through the Orthodox teachings as well, so it's, there's no conspiracy theory, right? There's, there's no, like, hidden people who lost out and are forgotten from history. Well, I think that for um, myself as an evangelical, and I still see this with a lot of you know my evangelical brothers and sisters who want to retain kind of like this early Christian vibe, uh, but you know there's an impression among many of them that oh well, you know let's just look at the Book of Acts. I'm sure there's some stuff that comes a- after it, but you know it's probably lost to history, and we can't really know what that you know what it was like outside of the Book of Acts, and we can only trust the Bible anyway. It turns out we actually do have lots of trustworthy primary sources. <laughs> In that generation, uh, you mentioned Ignatius of Antioch. Uh, who else would be a good one to read from that generation to get a picture? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, Ignatius of Antioch, you have Polycarp, who was a friend of Ignatius. He was also a disciple of the Apostle John. Um, basically, you could open what's called the Apostolic Fathers, and there are about, I think, six or seven writings. Uh, or six or seven people, that uh, the writings date back to pretty close to the beginning 
you know, some of them may have even been written before the Old Testament was done. I mean, excuse me, the New Testament was done. And yeah. that's incredibly early. That is extremely early. Yeah, when you think about, uh, well, I mean, they would all have been put together before the New Testament itself was compiled, because that doesn't happen for another couple hundred years. Yeah, right. But but yeah, Gary Machuda, this is fascinating stuff, and I encourage people to go pick up your book, The Gospel Truth, especially for the next time someone challenges you and says, well, who can trust the Bible because it's old, right? Well, we can, yeah. we can look at, at some very good reasons as to why we can trust the Bible. Hands-on apologetics linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks, Gary. Have a, have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. You too, Matt. All right. We're back right after this with Courtney Brown from Ruah Woods. It's 14 till. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Support is from Affirm Films comes Journey to Bethlehem, a Christmas musical film for the whole family. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. Look at the star. This is it. You truly believe that this child is the chosen one. What is his name? Jesus. Journey to Bethlehem. Rated PG. Federal guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere now. Soundtrack also available. More information is at journeytobethlehem.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hi friends, Janet Williams here. Join me every Wednesday on Women of Grace Live as I welcome new age researcher and blogger for Women of Grace, Sue Brinkman. Sue and I will be talking about all the wacky things that could distract you from your faith. Psychics, yoga, Reiki, crystals, acupuncture, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and astral traveling are just a few of the stranger things we discuss. That's why we call it Wacky Wednesday. So join us at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. On the next More to Life, Toasted. Is burnout getting the better of you? We'll help you find peace and purpose. That's later today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 Till, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has once again prayed and asked the faithful to pray for peace every day, especially in the Holy Land, in Ukraine and in Sudan. The U.S. bishops at their General Assembly yesterday voted on the Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship revised introduction. Abortion will continue to be the preeminent priority according to it. And President Biden says his meetings with Chinese President Xi Jinping yesterday were constructive and productive. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. 
Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Rua Woods Institute. We've been getting some mini lessons from him based on Revealed, the K-12 through curriculum. We're making our way through the second grade curriculum currently. Courtney, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am doing fine. And, you know, there are some big concepts in John Paul II's Theology of the Body that, I mean, scholars have written books about them. And one of those concepts, I think, is original unity. So first off, what is original unity? And then how do you teach that to a second grader? That's a great question. So just a refresher, JP2 talks about when he looks at original man, um, major man and woman, he talks about these three experiences. One, original solitude, where it says it's not good for man to be alone, and he reflects on that, and then he reflects on the moment called original unity when, in a sense, Adam awakes and sees the woman and says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, so she's better called woman. And there's this deep uh, poetic imagery there that essentially when when we think about how did Adam and Eve see each other in the beginning, and this idea that when the experience of being alone, that we were meant to be in relation because we're in the image of God, that we're meant to be in relation with others and Himself. And it's how God has designed us. So when we... JP2 reflects heavily on this idea of what it was to see the other in their perfect... I'm going to use a big word here, but he calls it a psychosomatic union. So mm-hmm. when he saw... It's this moment of... The best way I can describe it, of awe. So I remember mm-hmm. when I went to see the Grand Canyon for the first time, I, I just was stopped. I, I could not... I could not... I, I just stood still and watched sure. the moment and stayed in that moment and just was in was in awe. So when we find ourselves contemplating beauty and goodness and, in a sense, are brought out of ourselves and something bigger, um, that's essentially what Adam and Eve were experiencing within each other. So it wasn't this idea of wanting to grasp at each other or take. It was a just, in a sense, of a gift and a response to that mm-hmm. gift, so a giving and, re- and receiving. So... This, this idea of original unity is a, is a big concept. It's something to continue to reflect on. And in the Quilt Maker's Gift, as we talked about last time, there we use that book to also describe this idea for second graders that uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, right, this uh, communion of saints. And we have these activities where we match up saints to show how even the saints that we had in the Church, like St. Francis, St. Clair, mm-hmm. all had people, brothers and sisters, to walk along their journey. So we use the friendship as a way to talk about original unity as well. Oh, that's fantastic. So tell us about the saint activity that you have for the second graders. So at the end of the, the lesson, after they discuss a little bit, what we do is we pass out cards, and each of the cards is a matching game. But they're different saints, but each saint has a match. Mm-hmm. So St. Therese of Lisieux's parents are there. So in a classroom of 30, you can imagine just 30 kids sitting they each get a card, and what they have to do is they have to find their match. And you don't tell them right out oh, of the gate. You just yeah. let them talk about their saints. Because then they're thinking they're trying to find the same saint. But in the reality, what they're doing is they're actually trying to find the person that was in partnership. Ah, I'm holding will. it up for our video participants if you want to see the cards. They're very beautiful images. They really are, yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a really good activity for them to kind of see that you know, these heroes of our of our faith had people to walk with them. They're, they have a journey that they're going through, and 
as they're walking through their journey that we need people, we need others, we need family, we need we need friends, we need teachers, we need mentors, you know, mm-hmm. we need people. So Yeah, and I see Louis and Zelly Martin are there as well. So husbands need wives, wives need husbands. <laughs> right, which is a great segue, too, into that uh, the actual next book. So we're continuing this theme of gift of self and then this understanding of original unity and that we were made in relationship, um, the next book we talked through kind of, dives even deeper into this concept of gift of self and original unity with uh, St. George and the Dragon. And that, that story is really amazing when you read it. Um, what it's, it's, a, it's, it's a deeply profound uh, allegory, for sure. Mm. So, like, for example, if you read that book, St. George is, in the beginning, doesn't know his name, actually. He's not sure where he's from. But he's called by this fairy queen to go on a journey. And he has to embark on his journey, and then along his journey, this this, uh, this princess in the name of Una, which represents one, is bad, in a sense is looking for a knight in shining armor to rescue her village, where her parents are trapped. And it's obviously a dragon that's constantly lurking, and it causes problems. So on his journey, it's, it actually says narrow path, and that mm. Una, this princess, is accompanying the, the on his journey. And there are times where they get lost, but in the, along the journey, he's brought back into the path. And then once he faces the dragon, this is what's really cool about this, because in normal these stories, they never, the knight never gets dinged up. But in the quest of the dragon, he actually gets hurt and gets wounded, and in a sense is brought back to, to hell through water and this image of baptism. And then what's interesting as you read the story, what Una is also doing, in the midst of all of this, Una is praying. And she's, and she's like, she gets afraid because she thinks he's dead. The night is dead at times. But then she's just praying, and she's quiet. It's like that receptivity of Our Lady, right? Like, not, she doesn't take up a sword. She doesn't take up a, she just sits and knows that this is the night's quest. And at the moment, as they're on their journey, I forgot to mention this, too, there's actually a city that they run across that's jewels, which is supposed to represent the city of heaven. Wow. And he wants to go there now. But the, the um, this hermit he runs into reminds him that that's not his, that's to come, but really he has to first enter into the battle with the dragon. So so his, his destination, he has a destination that he's going towards, which is supposed to symbolize heaven. So ultimately he gets wounded, gets hurt, but then comes back and then eventually slays the dragon and the village is going, you know, crazy and excited or whatnot. But this, this is just a strong image that... You know, most of these stories and these allegories, we see that it's individual. It's like the knight trying to do this for the princess, but in reality, he was saving everyone. Wow. Revealed is the name of the curriculum. You can find it through the Ruel Woods Institute. We've been talking to Courtney Brown. You can also find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Courtney, thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.